You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. Hello, what have we here? My God, it's full of stars. Xenopod, from the year of 5,000. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Xenopod from the year 5000. I am your host, Sean DeRigger. And uh, with me today is, uh, we've been buddies on, on Twitter quite a while. And uh, he's a listener of the Screamcast. And uh, somehow we've uh, become internet friends. Brandon Medley, welcome to the Xenopod. Hey, Sean. Good to be here. So it ha- it's it's always funny when, you know, I, I, we start talking about like internet, you know, meeting up people on the internet and all that kind of stuff. Like how I, how did we end up crossing paths? Was it through Screamcast, right? And then was it through my Armchair Philosopher podcast? I can't try to tie down the timeline. I don't actually remember when we first came across <laughs> each other on Twitter. Um, I think we had so many mutual friends that, I kept seeing your name on Twitter a lot of times, right. and interacting with you, not realizing that I wasn't actually following you. Like that tends to happen to me a lot since Twitter changed to you know showing you other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime over the 2016, we connected. I know that I, I was aware of the Screamcast long before I was actually listening to it because I would listen to a lot of horror podcasts and stuff, and. You know, but there's only so many two-hour chunks of time in the week. And then I think I actually listened to Armchair Philosopher first, and it hit the sweet part spot for me of you know skepticism and religion and sorting it all out. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, uh, welcome as the the first guest of Xenopod from the year five thousand. Uh, my whole goal with this podcast is um, I'm gonna. I I was looking. Okay, so at, by the time you hear this, you know that we have launched a podcast network called Screaming Pods, and it's over at ScreamingPods.com. You'll find a handful of shows over there to listen to, including the Screamcast, uh, Brad Henderson and Mike Delaney's podcast, the SOVPOD, uh, the SovPod, as well as Armchair Philosopher and uh, other shows like Just the Discs and uh, Bloody Popcorn, and we're bringing more in. and. Brad, so Brad was starting uh, the Solve Pod with good old Mike Delaney, and I, I was looking since I was thinking about doing this network. I wanted to bring kind of a handful of different. If it's a movie podcast, I wanted things other than horror, and um, just the discs handles that spot of being kind of all inclusive with Brian Sauer, which is great. And I was looking for a science fiction podcast, and I couldn't find any other than Star Wars. So I was like, man, I need you know. I would love to listen to a sci-fi podcast. It'd be great for this network. So uh, I just decided to start one. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, this is going to be a once a month deal for starters. Kind of go through the first year, see how this goes. Uh, we are going to have a rotation of colorful, colorful characters. And Brandon is our first colorful, colorful, I can't talk, colorful character to join in. On the discussions, hopefully we'll be bringing it to you kind of lesser seen or movies that have been kind of lost in the shuffle of Star Trek and Star Wars. So we're not going to be talking about the big guns. Uh, I wanted to talk about things that uh, people can discover and kind of little oddities and things like that. Uh, the one that we are talking about today, Brandon, you brought up and I figured that would be fun because I hadn't seen it yet. And that's 1955's This Island Earth. Oh wow! I didn't realize you had not seen this yet. I, I hadn't. I. Um, I mean, I've seen the Metaluna Alien. I mean, that's yeah that's, been in in culture saturated, and I'd I'd always just seen it and always just attributed it to you know an old sci fi film, but I had never sat down and watched this Island Earth. So when you brought it up, I was like, perfect, perfect excuse for me to sit sit down and watch this. 
Okay, well, I have a confession to make, Ben. When I suggested this movie, this was not the movie I thought I was suggesting. <laughs> yes. It wasn't. I mean, I had seen this movie before, and it's perfect for what you're wanting to do. <laughs> but I just randomly listed off some titles and shot them out there to you. And the one, I, what I thought I was recommending us do is from 1951, When Worlds Collide. Uh, <laughs> oh, and nice. I I mean, I'm glad you didn't just go out and buy that Blu-ray, uh, yeah, When they, Worlds Collide. I they know. all have these kind of generic sci-fi sounding <laughs> titles. I get them confused in my head. And I was like, well, I don't own either. And I ordered the DVD of This Island Earth. And when it came <laughs> in and I started reading the back of it, I was like, where's the rocket that leaves earth with all the scientists, you know, um, <laughs> well, they are kind I, of gathering scientists. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But yeah. It's not, it's not the exact same thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to, the, to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the plot of this Island earth and everything in just a moment. But first, uh, Brandon, we need to get to people kn- to know a little more about you. Um, and, uh, so I, I wanted to talk about first, before we jump into a specific film, um, we can both talk about what uh, what about you know science fiction appeals to us. So, um, when did you kind of start watching science fiction, and uh, how did that evolve? Like, you know, what was the first science fiction film you remember watching? Even I tried to think about this when you told me I needed to answer this. Um, it's hard to remember. I've been a sci fi fan, I guess, most of my life. I guess the earliest memory that comes is E. T. Um, if you call that a sci-fi film, you know, it's aliens. I certainly do, <laughs> even though it's not quite the same thing as this one. E.T. came out the year before I was born, but so I didn't see it in the theater, but I grew up watching it. Um, we were very obsessed with it in my household. It's still my favorite movie to this day. And so for a long time, and I still say this when people ask me what kind of things I like, I say, well, if it has aliens and spaceships, dragons, superheroes, or monsters in it, there's, <laughs> or, and robots, there's a pretty good chance it's my kind of thing. And so, you know, that encompasses all the big sci-fi and fantasy stuff. Um, you were talking about Star Wars and Star Trek. Those, you know, you can't have grown up in the 80s without being exposed to those things and into them at least a little bit. You know, I knew Star Wars. Um, this was the heyday of Star Trek being shown on reruns and then the next generation starting and the movies were coming out. The movies of Star Trek is really how I got into it. One of my grandfathers was into sci-fi. And so I would see stuff with him. Like I remember watching the Planet of the Apes movies with him for the first time when they would be aired on. We didn't have cable. We just had broadcast television out in the country. But they would come on in the afternoon sometimes and, and reruns of the Planet of the Apes TV show. And then I had an uncle who was really into this stuff. And as I got a little older, he would give me books. Um, and he was not as discerning as a sci-fi fan as I've always been. And I think that probably came up from growing up in a rural area in the sixties and seventies, you know, you had to take what you could get in <laughs> sci-fi. And, um, but I still remember my 13th birthday, he gave me battlefield earth to read. <laughs> oh, nice. And this was before the movie. Right. Right. So it sounded epic out. in not your, too in long, your mind. Not too long before the movie. <laughs> and this is before I knew who L Ron Hubbard was and all of that stuff. And I read the first half, which is all the movie tales, but I've still never finished the book. But, you know, he had told me about this book and built it up in my mind. And this was his favorite, one of his favorites. And um, it's it's still sitting on my bookshelf. I'm sitting here right now looking at it. Nice. Um, it's it's just the mass market paperback, but, you know, it's as thick as like four of them. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, my uh, – I've – you know, I was born in 1977, so uh, Star Wars had already come out, and my parents were fans. So it's like when I was born, I was almost like born into somehow Star Wars DNA got into me because really, like those are the first science fiction films I really remember. I mean, I saw those must have been. I'm trying to think like when Star Wars came out on VHS, and it must have been when I was because not till the 80s when VHS kind of started yeah. to hit. But I remember, I mean, every weekend I would rent a Star Wars movie. But um, so that was kind of already ingrained in me. I had the underoos and everything Star Wars, you know. And but I remember like my grandpa was a sci-fi fan, but he was more early, you know, you know, 
fifties, mid fifties sci-fi. I remember I watched Forbidden Planet at a young age. Oh yeah, and with, you know with Leslie Nielsen and and um, and that like animated monster, you know, animated like invisible mm-hmm. monster. And I remember just loving that and uh, that aesthetic of, of that of that creature, even though it was animated in a movie. I didn't care. Like I, I loved how that looked. And, and of course, you know, Star Trek, the original series, I would always watch with my grandpa and that kind of formed, you know, that, you know, taste for early science fiction and then into, you know, the Star Wars. And, and especially as I got older, I started to discover, you know, horror sci-fi like Alien. And then I discovered like B-level science fiction movies like Crash and Burn and Robot Jocks. <laughs> and so, so I love like the wide variety of big budget sci-fi to kind of people just trying to do a science fiction story on a shoestring budget. Um, for some reason, I'm more forgiving of low budget sci-fi for some reason uh, and low budget horror than like anything else, I guess. I think because for so long to get any sci-fi or horror for a lot, a lot of its history, you had to get low budget. So yeah fans had to learn to be forgiving of it. <laughs> well, it's, it was funny because, you know, on, on the screencast, Brad always, you know, gives me crap about, you know, uh, you know, big budget, Sean, you know, I love big, big budget. And I do in a sense, because I was raised on George Lucas and Steven Spielberg movies. Yeah. Same here. Um, I mean. But, you know, but I still like, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I have like a, if I feel like the filmmaker was really trying and they were really passionate about what they were doing, then it's easier to digest, I think, a lower budget. Um, and, and if it's just fun, like if there's a fun aspect to it. But um, I don't know. I guess I guess I draw the line at shot on video, <laughs> I guess is what happens. Yeah. Although, well, uh, I would much rather watch an Ed Wood sci-fi movie uh-huh. than a Michael Bay sci-fi movie. Yeah. They're yeah. both usually gonna not going to be gr- – well, not usually. They're both bad, but there's a lot more heart for me. Yes to Ed Wood, like he's trying his best. Michael yeah. Bay's not. No, no, no. And I'm look, I'm a Michael Bay apologist. I get it. Uh, I, know. I enjoy his movies. His movies are generic as hell. I get it. Um, but they kind of satisfy that part of me, I guess. But, um, but yeah, man, uh, and Ed Wood, Ed Wood, anything low, low budget, anything kind of just just fun to watch. And we'll be getting through the show. We'll be getting into some of them, some Roger Corman stuff. Um, I'm sure we'll get to Star Crash at some point and uh, Galaxy of Terror and, and things like that. Forbidden Zone, I believe. Um, but um, some good stuff in the future of the show to talk about. So that's those are kind of the films that I w- we will be covering. Uh, we're not going to jump in anything major budget, um, anything like that, even though, you know, uh, we, we, I don't know. I don't, I would, I don't want to say never because there's certain films I feel like have been released at a larger budget and kind of overlooked or ignored. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 comes to mind that, um, kind of got the shaft in 2017 and it's probably one of the, my favorite science fiction films, uh, in the past decade. So, you know, we'll see if the, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, we definitely want to talk about things that are less discussed. And hopefully through the show, you'll discover uh, some little gems and uh, and things like that. The two of you are beginning a strange journey, a journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. Universal International presents the most startling, the most imaginative and suspenseful science fiction drama ever brought to the screen. You'll marvel at the superior intelligence that unleashes its deadly ray. Or can kidnap an airplane in flight. They're pulling us up. Prisoners hurtling through endless space, speeding toward the unearthly furies of a planet gone mad. See sights never before dreamed by man. The battle between guided meteors and deadly rays. They're going to hit us. They're going to hit us. A planet doomed to destruction. Why? 
while captive Earth people fight for their lives. It is indeed typical that you Earth people refuse to believe in the superiority of any world but your own. Run, Ruth, run! So this Island Earth 1955, it was directed by Joseph M. Newman. He got the itch to direct a science fiction film, and he found the book um, that had come out in 1952. And I thought I wrote down uh, who wrote the book, but uh, it's not on my notes. Brandon, do you happen to have uh, the author of the book? Was it Raymond F. Jones? Yes, sir. Yes, 1952, Raymond F. Jones. My computer finally caught up with my brain. Um, so the the novel was originally published um, kind of piece by piece through uh, the magazine uh, Thrilling Wonder Stories. So it was there's three novelettes um, kind of over a few years starting in 1949. Uh, there was The Alien Machine, then there was uh, The Shroud of Secrecy, and then the greater conflict. So those three stories were in this magazine, Thrilling Wonder Stories, and eventually were published into a novel form. And so the director, um, Joseph Newman, had, he hadn't really done a whole lot of sci-fi. I don't think he'd done, at this point, had done any science fiction. He had done more kind of like thrillers and, and, uh, and things like that. And he had presented this idea I believe to Universal. Well, no, at first they were going to be doing this independent. So they were, he had a screenwriter and they were looking to release this themselves. Universal got on board and decided that this would be their first, uh, big special effects, technicolor, you know, uh, science fiction film and be, would be kind of an event. And, uh, that's how the, the movie kind of was, uh, was born. Yeah. And if you, Watch it now, I'm sure most people, because most people would be making fun of the special effects or kind of mm-hmm. rolling their eyes. But I went back and read a couple of the reviews for when the movie came out, and it's praised for its special effects and how state-of-the-art they are and how amazing they looked and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it's, – it's, it's pretty funny because this, this kind of came back around into cultural consciousness through – mystery science theater 3000 and that's how i'd kind of heard about it because it came out as the the mystery science theater 3000 the movie and they were going to be basically uh you know whatever they do on that show i you know uh, i am not a fan of mystery science theater 3000 i'm not either i don't know i would see it on like comedy central and stuff like that. And I would just be and and I would want to watch the movie. I would be like, shut up. <laughs> you know, I want to yeah. watch this movie, you know? Um, and this was kind of before like cinema sins and all this kind of stuff where, you know, you would basically make fun of a film and for other people's enjoyment. Um, I, I'm on the fence with that stuff. And I, and, uh, cinema sins, especially like, I don't really like that. I think it's done in a mean, mean spirited way. And I think yeah, it I don't diminishes. like them. Um, I because MST3K is one of those things that I feel like I'm supposed to like. Um, so many of my friends and people who are into the same things I'm in love it. I have tried. I mentioned earlier, I didn't grow up with cable. I didn't have access to any of the cable channels till my senior year in high school. So I kind of missed out on the, the big, the first big heyday of MST3K and so for the longest time, I'd hear about it, and then, but I had no way to watch it. And so when MST3K, the movie, came out, they had it at the video store. I do remember renting it. That may have been the first time I watched This Island Earth. Mm. But until I was researching for the podcast today, I did not put it together that it was actually the movie in there. Because I probably never finished watching MST3K, the movie. Because, like you said, I'd rather watch the movie. You know, it had robots, so that was my thing. I, I liked the little sketches with the characters, and I would like the movie, right. but I wanted them to shut up during the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, because I tried um, watching uh, a scene near the end when the Metaluna creature is uh, there. Uh, all three of our main characters are in these pod things. And the creature's kind of slowly walking towards, and of course goes to the woman, and all she does is just scream. <laughs> and finally mm-hmm. gets out. But, but you know, 
I don't know, man. Like there's something about that, the imagery of this just cheesy looking alien and everything coming towards the the woman. Like the, the in your own mind, you have your own commentary about this stuff. And what in my mind, the things I was thinking was not as funny or entertaining as what these these three guys were saying. So hey, if if you like it, that's that's great. That's that's your thing. It never for some reason never stuck with me. So yeah, it, but it feels good to hear you say that because like I said, so many people tell me like I. Every few years, I will, like when they brought back MST3K this past year, I watched a few episodes on Netflix. Every few years, I try to go back and give it another shot because so many people whose opinions I generally agree with just love it, but I've never been able to get into it. And mostly just because I always want to watch the movie. I like like Elvira instead. You know, She'll pop up occasionally right, right, little right. bits in the middle, but she mostly goes away and lets you enjoy the movie yeah um, yeah same thing with uh is it katrina's um uh, movie theater or whatever you know the code red uh blu-rays always have this katrina's something theater I haven't watched and uh, those, uh, they have that sure mode. It's, it's 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 like a low but it's 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 third fourth fifth tier elvira but gotcha but it's the so, same kind of thing you know have fun with this movie but yeah for the most part you're gonna be able to watch it uninter- uninterrupted yeah. and um, i did um write down a quote from the um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 people about why they chose this film that I thought was important. It might serve as a good introduction to actually okay. talking about the movie awesome. here. He said um, that they chose this island Earth because it had many elements that they, they liked for their movies. And this is the quote. A hero who's a big-chinned white guy scientist with a deep voice, mm-hmm. a wormy sidekick guy, Huge four-headed aliens who nobody can quite figure out are aliens. There's just something, quote, different about them. And a couple of rubber monsters who die on their own without the hero ever <laughs> doing anything. <Yes. laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get, we need to talk about that. We will get to it. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, if you haven't seen uh, This Island Earth, I do recommend it. I think if you're a fan of science fiction, it's a kind of good, and it's. I, I feel like it's a good way if you... Uh, or wanted to kind of rediscover older science fiction, it's a good way to kind of get your get your toes wet. Uh, I know that my kids at least would they would love probably the last part of the film, which is the most uh gets the most batshit crazy. But um, but let's I mean I have the plot here for this island Earth. I'm going to read it. Uh, this comes from I don't know. This comes from Google. I just typed in plot and it came uncredited. So if you wrote this, I'm sorry, but uh, this is just Google just says this is the plot. Okay. Uh, Scientist Cal Mitchum played by Rex Reason, which is one of the most fantastic actor names out there, uh, solves a mysterious puzzle that allows him access to a highly secretive program led by the mysterious Exeter played by Jeff Morrow that has assembled the world's greatest scientific minds in an attempt to quickly learn how to generate and store nuclear power. But with the help of fellow scientist Ruth Adams, Faith Dummerg, you're going to find out if you haven't listened to the Screamcast that I can butcher last names, and Steve Carlson, played by Russell Johnson, uh, Mitchum soon discovers that his host is not who he claims to be. So that's the official plot for This Island Earth. And yeah, you're right. It has the square-jawed lead actor, lead character, who talks like this all the time. And, uh, and you're right. Like there's a, there's, there's a moment in the film, like I, I brought up earlier where the alien is coming towards the woman and she's just screaming. She escapes her little pod that she's in and she runs and the alien just falls down and dies. And, you know, and here comes, you know, our lead character, uh, Cal Mitchum. And he just puts his hands on her shoulders and he goes, are you okay? Like <laughs> that's pretty much all he does. Yeah, and when the mutant dies, he just vanishes. Yeah. Like he's yeah. a Jedi or something. Totally. And I think George Lucas probably took that. I think he stole that. Probably. I mean, <laughs> it just matches up everything else, which is why we love it. Yeah. No, this, uh, this film is great. It's a bit, it's a bit slow moving, but you have your, your cocky pilot and he's coming down and he's, uh, giving an interview, of course, about, how awesome he is and and they're trying to they're experimenting with nuclear technology right and that's that's what yeah, he's talking about yeah they describe about. at the beginning he says we're living in a push button age um but then <laughs> says that they're going to try to link these electronics with atomic energy <laughs> 
Nice. And then we get this great, like, best of reel of stock footage, aerial stock footage as he flies across the country. Um, <laughs> but he goes from D.C. to New York City to the Rockies to the Grand Canyon and then to L.A. Um, right. I think was the sequence of events and things I recognized. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that, that was all. And was that based on the technology he was was testing out? Yeah, that's what I wrote down. That that's what he's describing at the beginning. You know, when he's at the very beginning of the movie, he's flying his plane. He's doing his own research. And then he like he stops and he talks to these other guys and kind of describes what he's doing. <laughs> and um, fantastic. you don't find scenes like that anymore in films, you know, where where he's just standing there outside of his plane, uh, kind of giving an interview and, uh, he's just super confident. And, you know, he's obviously these reporters come around all the time. And, and, uh, so he, so they, they him and I think one of his sidekicks, not sidekicks, so his assistants, they find, um, a box full of materials and instructions, uh, uh, to put basically this stuff together. So, uh, they decide to put this together, I guess just because, right. Cause that's what you do, right. When you find, when you're, yeah, a, I think when, so. Um, it's just when you're a scientist, box. we didn't order this. Let's see what it does. Um, I'm a, I'm a nuclear physicist. I have a strange box. I'm going to put this together. Catherine tube with an endium complex of plus four. What are they talking about? I don't know, but this outfit has them. This isn't paper, some kind of metal. Interocitor incorporating planetary generator. Interocitor with voltorator, with astroscope. Here's something my wife could use in the house. An interocitor incorporating an electron sorter. Although she probably gained 20 pounds, but it did all the work for her. They decide to put all this stuff together, and uh, they basically build a... a uh, An uh, interocitor. A, a Skype. Or interocitor. They... <laughs> I wrote it down both ways. Interocitor, interocitor. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's basically an automatic uh, version of uh, you know a, an ancient version of Skype, uh, video yeah. chat, uh, voice over IP, video over IP, and uh, a in a a white haired man, um, Exeter, who, who may have you know he maybe he has like a. A malformation. Maybe he was just born that way, but he has a couple little, you know, bumps, you know, on his forehead. Kind of early, early Klingon, I would say. Uh, bumps on his forehead, and uh, yeah, his name's Exeter, and he decides, and he and he tells them that this was a test because they're recruiting scientists for a special project. You have successfully accomplished your task, Dr. Meacham. You've assembled an interocitor. A feat of which few men are capable. Who are you? I'm called Exeter. I'm a scientist like yourself. Shall we say, uh, a colleague. My colleagues don't materialize out of strange machines. They're flesh and blood. And so am I, Dr. Meacham, as I hope you'll soon find out. Although I admit at the moment I do appear immaterial. But no matter. I represent a group which is seeking scientists of exceptional ability. All prospects must pass an aptitude test which you've just done. I'm flattered. Only I don't remember applying for any job. Um, yeah, I actually wrote Hector Hammond from Green Lantern is who he reminded me of. <laughs> um, so with the big head. Um, I actually thought that I wrote down whenever he first comes on the interocitor. It's like he almost sounds like a Phil Hartman character. Mm hmm. Later, when he's not talking on the radio or the interocitor, he doesn't quite sound so much. But that first part when he comes on and he's on there, I was like, this sounds like it could have been voiced by Phil Hartman almost. Um, <laughs> very much that stagey, over the top, Troy McClure type thing. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's he's putting putting it on for the camera, you know. So they basically says, you know, they, they want to recruit this scientist, uh, Mitchum to to join him and of course his uh uh who's his assistant's name um joe joe is not for it joe is like no you shouldn't do this and uh a a windowless 
unmanned plane shows up and he's Mitchum's told, hey, get in this plane and I'm just going to take you to, you know, where we need you, which is not weird at all. So Mitchum, of course, like any square jawed American is going to be brave and he's going to take that chance. And so he, much to Joe's disapproval, uh, gets into the plane and flies somewhere and uh, meets up with Dr. Ruth Adams, who maybe he kind of frolicked with at some retreat at some point. Yeah, she's, they've got some kind of history, but she doesn't remember. No. So, and they don't just fly somewhere. If I remember correctly, he says they, she says they're in Georgia, which I noted because <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. Oh, okay. Um, it doesn't did, look like Georgia. It looks very much like Southern <laughs> yeah. California. I was going to ask you, did the, uh, did the scenery look much like Georgia or not? But she does make the comment that that's where they're at. They're at his um, Exeter's home in Georgia. Right. So. And Exeter's not a weird name at all. It's a normal. No, that's what I was talking about. Like, he's trying to masquerade as human, but he still says his name is Exeter. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they have the, basically the meet and greet. Uh, he's, he's told, you know, this is this is your laboratory. You can work in here and do experiments this is where you'll be working. Uh, Ruth is just another doctor who's working nearby. Of course, he's like, so where's your office? Uh, and uh, so she's working nearby. They run into another scientist. Um, Dr. Steve Carlson. Yes, Steve Carlson. And, uh, you know, things are, they're starting to realize like through dinner and, you know, as things are going on, like things just aren't, you know, adding up, uh, there's all there's these other white haired guys. They all kind of look similar that they're seeing. And, uh, so something's not, something's not completely, completely right. So they decide, uh, to kind of have a little powwow and, uh, doesn't he, he doesn't he, uh, he discovers that maybe this big lead, uh, thing will basically block, the interocitor from hearing them because in every other lab, all their laboratories, they have this interocitor and basically Exeter can just click it on and kind of peep in on everybody whenever he wants. And so they they find out very much and they decide that, Oh, you know, based on some, uh, some logic or whatever, some scientific logic, uh, they figure that they don't have proof of this, but they figure that maybe they can't hear them. So they decided to talk and, uh, Am I am I missing anything in our rundown here up to this point? Up to this point, no. Um makes it. After they kind of the three of them meet and discuss it, then they get in trouble for it. And Exeter tells them don't have any more meetings with the other scientists. And at this point is when they they leave, right? Yeah, they're like, uh, screw this crap, we're out of here. And they basically steal a car of some sort, uh, a Jeep or, or something. And uh, they're driving, you know, just trying to get the hell out of there. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And uh, they, Ruth and Mitchum get abducted. Uh, Well, the the mansion blows up. I'm trying to remember here. The mansion blows up. Uh, They they take Steve out. Spoiler alert. Yeah, everyone else dies. Uh, Yeah, unceremoniously. Yeah. and then Mitchum and Ruth are taken away. And, and uh, did you recognize this part where they're abducted? They're in a plane. They're flying. And all of a sudden, there's a flying saucer above them. And they put a tractor beam or whatever. You start pulling the plane up. And you hear Mitchum say, they're pulling us up. And this <laughs> brief clip is in E.T. When E.T. is home oh. drunk, watching TV, <laughs> yes. looking through the channels. He stops on this scene. They're pulling us up. Here's where the film starts to get interesting and fun. We're um, a little over halfway through the movie right now. We've done nothing but set up for the first half of the movie. And now it's finally starting to get a little exciting. Which the the, the setup and bringing Steve in and having Steve just disappear like that is it's it's sad uh, because they do. I mean, there's, there's a lot of they bring in Steve for a lot of character stuff. I mean, I guess to make you kind of feel for him, I guess. Maybe to miss him a little bit. I'm sorry that our visit below had to be terminated so dramatically, but time allowed for nothing else. I can assure you, we mean you no harm. Like Steve Carlson and Engelborg, like the others in that house. 
What happened was beyond my control. What happened was mass murder. We're not all masters of our souls, Meacham. That's a nice little phrase coming from you. I learned it on Earth. They get taken away from Earth. Uh, they're brought to the planet Metaluna. And um, so, so what was their, what was their whole plan, Brandon? The, the, to, All right. These, these aliens, so, what was their, what was their plan? On Metaluna, we get there, we meet Exeter's boss, I guess you would say. We find out that they are seeking scientists in uranium. Because everything comes back to uranium in 50s mm-hmm. sci-fi. Um, <laughs> because the Metalunans are at war with the Zagons. And they're going to try to use these scientists and the uranium that they get from Earth to develop weapons to beat the Zygons or Zagons. How did they say it? I can't remember now. <laughs> um, but then ultimately it comes out that, well, we might beat them, but we're still going to then take all the Metalunans and we're going to go to Earth and make Earth our new home. Right. So we've got them kidnapping scientists to fight aliens but then they're also going to invade <laughs> Earth ultimately. No, was, was there an invasion of Earth? Were they, were they going to try to live peacefully with humans, or, or was, does it explained? They're just saying we're going to come and kind of. I don't think know, it says. I think it just says we're going to come make Earth our new home. Okay, so you know it, it could be all right. I would imagine. I mean, you know, Meacham does not seem to think this is all right. Well, because Meacham's an American, and he knows that if yeah. America tries to get inv- you know invaded by aliens, that uh, they'll get blown up, and that USA will not be having that. Yeah, we can't have aliens coming here. Not at all. Build a wall, um, <laughs> or a dome. Maybe a dome. If we were being invaded by aliens, or there's the the you know the threat of that, I'm sure this current administration would build a dome. That's worked out really well Build for Springfield. Build a dome. <laughs> All right, so here's where it gets. So, um, so why did they put them into these uh, thought transference chambers? Because that's where, because th- that's where we first kind of we start seeing these the aliens, and that's when when I talked about the, the slow approach of the alien towards Doctor Ruth, because uh, they're in these chambers. They're in these chambers when they're on the ship, and I forget why they make them change clothes. Okay, and this was after. Okay, this they escape and they get onto a ship and they leave. And I it, just remember that when the they ship. get That's in right. the tubes mm-hmm. to backtrack a minute, I, re- I really like when he says, "I feel like a new toothbrush." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "How would you know what that feels like?" And what a weird thing to say. <laughs> you know, toothbrush technology, pack- packaging technology has not changed much. Yeah, because that I totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so are are they in, they're in these they're in these tubes and um, but we're you know for this sense we're gonna, we're gonna spoil this film. I'm sorry, it's it's it came out in 1955. Uh, watch it if you don't want to be fully spoiled. I think the moratorium spoilers has passed. I think so. Um. But the ending of this movie is ridiculous uh, in all the right ways. So that alien just dies. Uh, you know, Mitchum rushes towards Dr. Ruth like he's done something super important, uh, even though he's done nothing. Uh, and he, how many times does he do this in the film? He does this a few times. And, a uh, lot. Because I don't really think he really throws any punches or really battles yeah, yeah like the Mystery Science Theater 3000 guy said, he doesn't really do anything. Yeah, the problem just kind of resolves itself. Yeah. Um, but, but, but before we talk about the ending, let's talk, I want to talk about these, uh, these, the Metaluna aliens here because are these the, the Zegons or whatever? Well, this is where I was confused because they talk about that they're at war with the Zygons or Zegons or Zagons. But the a- the alien monster that we see is this mutant huh. oh, oh, who okay. right. the Metalunans created. <laughs> we right. never even see That's the right. Zygons. Okay. They're just dropping bombs or whatever from the sky. I'm sure it's just budgetary um, constraints. Yeah, and so I forget, the, the mutant has been bioengineered to protect this chamber that they're trying to go to. And but I don't remember if they even explain why exactly now all of a sudden the mutants after them 
But I do know that they have this pretty cool looking alien creature. And on the DVD cover that I have, he looks even more impressive. Well, yeah. Here, because of some practical effects restraints they encountered on the on filming they couldn't make the legs part of the costume work right so he's just wearing pants <laughs> it's this spray um, painted some pants green and then they have um but they have this elaborate torso and head yeah yeah so um but no the aliens look awesome they were inspiration for me to uh you know, to make my little our little uh, logo. Um, I want, I was going to ask you if that was based off of these. Oh, once I saw those aliens, I was like, yeah, that's going to go in the logo. I mean, I was using an alien egg, and I was like, ah, everyone's knows alien. I was like, I need something. Yeah, but but see, it's it's still iconic. You know, mm-hmm. um, I need to do a shout out here to um, to Mark Sutter, who kind of helped me develop this little drawing i need it's, it's like i needed an artist to kind of come in and make it original uh rendition of it so mark sutter came in and uh, mark thank you very much um i i he drew something and then i ruined it by making it eight bits <laughs> so mark thank you for being a trooper <laughs> when i did that um but, but yeah though the, the the design is awesome um there's i've seen a lot of kind of action figures of the alien of the mutant or whatever. And yeah, um, it's just a really, really cool design. And it's something that I think a lot of movies since then have kind of borrowed from. Um, but, uh, but this design, I mean, this is a movie that I think if it was remade today could be really cool and they can do a really amazing job with that design of the alien. Um, they would probably sex the sex, the movie up way too much though. But yeah, I think honestly, I think, you know, for its time, the special effects are really good. I mean, obviously, it updated the effects, but I think what they really need, if they were to bring it back, was they just need to invest in a better story and yeah, this yeah, good work. Um, yeah, this is one of those things, like you said, the alien and clips of it and clips from this movie. I mentioned that it's an ET, um, get used all over. Um, I feel like things like Huey's Playhouse or shows like that that would include old bits of movies and stuff probably use some of this. I know I'd seen it somewhere as a kid yeah. before I, long before I ever saw the movie. Um, I'm almost certain at Walt Disney world at Hollywood studios where they have the sci-fi drive-in restaurant. Are you familiar with this restaurant at Disney world? I think, Oh yes. Where it, if for people who may not be familiar, it's a, it's a restaurant, but it's designed like you're in an old fifties drive-in theater, like the tables look like cars and they serve the, like the kitchen is in the concession stand and they serve you hamburgers, hot dogs, stuff like that. Um, but you're watching a movie the whole time and it's, it's this clip reel of different sci-fi movies and cartoons and things like that. And I'm almost certain there's in one of the montages, they have this scene with the mutant. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's become, iconic you know um just that scene so i was like i said i I was familiar with that and if you were one of the few people i know i was on opening day the only person in my theater that saw looney tunes back in action (laughs) in like 2006 directed by joe dante wow he loves this kind of stuff there's a scene that i vaguely remember i don't remember this i saw reddit on wikipedia but there's a scene where they go to Area 51 and they've got all these old movie aliens locked up in there. And the mutant from this movie is one of them. Let's get to the ending really quick. And then I want to talk about some, I want to bring up some other trivia and then we'll move into a segment that I hope to, to do every, every uh, show. So they, they escape, right? The alien, the mutant dies on its own. And as they're entering back into earth or as they get kind of down there, like the, flying saucer catches on fire or is it on fire before he, he drops them off the uh exeter drops off mitch and ruth just kind of you know later here you guys go yeah he kind of lets their plane out uh-huh and then he burns up yeah <laughs> just i mean i i think Cut maybe he could have <laughs> maybe he could have hopped in their plane and and jumped out with them i don't know i mean i don't think he was Maybe he felt bad because, you know, because he killed a lot of scientists. Maybe, maybe he felt like that was his. Wasn't he injured already? Maybe. He oh, that's died. right. He was injured. He was probably already dying. 
home. Thank God it's still here. What, what other kind of trivia do we have? I wanted to talk about Guar a little bit. They're, uh, they titled their fourth album, This Toilet Earth. And uh, that was kind of an homage and parody of yeah. This Island um, Earth. Weird Al has used the Interocitor a few times. I have not, I don't recall seeing these, but I wrote down, I read it online, that the Interocitor shows up both in the Weird Al movie UHF and in the music video for Dare to be Stupid. Very nice. I'm I'm a I'm a huge uh, Weird Al fan, and uh, yeah. and I, I believe I've I've seen those. Um, what's interesting about the cre- the creation of this film because Joseph M. Newman came in, and like I said, he hadn't had a lot of experience with science fiction. So when he first turned in uh, the film to Universal, uh, when once they got to the Metaluna scenes, Universal was like, ah, it's not up to par. So they brought Jack Arnold in. Uh, to fix a lot of things. And uh, Jack Arnold, of course, was known for it came from out of space, a creature from the Black Lagoon, tarantula, things like that. So he was already kind of established effects uh, director and science fiction director. So he came in and I guess fixed that stuff or reshot a whole bunch of things to kind of get this movie the way the Universal wanted it. Um, And I don't know if, I don't think Joseph Newman did too much science fiction afterwards he did some twilight zone episodes but i couldn't yeah see i was anything. gonna ask if you um like both him like i recognize you know like twilight zone and stuff but as far as his other movies same with most of the actors i did not mm-hmm. recognize yeah i mean um faith dim the actress that plays ruth like she was on bonanza some that bonanza episodes and perry mason and stuff but <laughs> you know i didn't i couldn't say like yes i've seen her or any of the actors yeah. or anything and anything else um i did now i have not seen the movie the aviator since it was in theaters in 2004 but apparently an act the actress kelly garner played faith Demerg oh. in the aviator so i guess she must have had some ties to um hughes that's interesting. One way or the other. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I thought I- interesting was that in interviews to promote the film, Jeff Morrow and Rex Reason said that uh, when when the scenes involving the mutant came up during the premiere, they like they wanted to leave. They were so embarrassed by the mutant costume, and uh, they, in their minds, they <laughs> felt that it completely ruined a great film. <laughs> I see this all the time when we have these actors who maybe did not normally do sci-fi who are yeah. in sci-fi movies. Like they always think that the more sci-fi elements ruin the movie where most sci-fi fans would say, no, that's the one thing we remember yeah. from the movie. No, that's, that's where the movie the gets good. good. Yeah. 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 All the stuff on Metaluna is great. And, uh, it's, it's just, I'm I'm really glad I finally saw everything in context because I've always ended up seeing things kind of clips here and there out of context, the the mutant, you know, design and everything. And uh, you know, it's just really fun. All right. Do we have any more uh, trivia and facts before we uh, move on? Starting in 1961, Castle Films sold um, an eight minute cutting from the film on eight millimeter for home movie audience. Oh, um, which I guess back then is how you bought. You know, you didn't weren't able to buy a whole movie. It was probably too expensive or whatever. So you could buy these cuttings. And so I wonder what eight minutes. I'm assuming it's the eight minutes with the mutant. Like, yeah, I, that's what like, I mean. <laughs> I mean, is there a full eight minutes of it? I don't know, but I don't think I would pay for anything else if I could no. only have eight minutes. Yeah, that's that's um, the money bit of the film. You don't I mean because everything else is you know, especially back then in, in the science fiction films, it's it's them. It's too two characters just discussing a lot of science fiction elements yeah. and you don't see a whole lot because just because the budgets. So, so yeah, I, I doubt it would be anything with that. It was interesting that this movie was released on a double bill with Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. <laughs> Very nice. Awesome. Uh, God bless Abbott and Costello. Those guys. I used to watch Abbott and Costello all the time, man. I would, I, I would just die laughing at those two. 
I have not actually watched a lot of them. I've watched those monster movies when they've <laughs> aired on TCM, which is actually where I've seen this movie most of the time. It actually is a semi-regular airing on Turner Classic Movies when they will do their sci-fi days. All right, let's uh, let's jump into a segment that I'm going to be trying out. Science fiction crimes against science. So um, I found some of these over at tvtropes.org. And as I move on with the show, uh, I will try to find more of these. But they have a pretty great list here of things that aren't up to snuff, uh, scientifically speaking, with what we know now. So uh, the first one I have here is that they, they call the laboratory cat Neutron. And they say, oh, it's because he's so positive. But, uh, but n- neutrons don't have any electric charge like at all. Um, so that was, you know, whatever <laughs> this, this could get super nerdy and maybe not funny, but I don't know. I'm give, give this a shot. Um, the fact that, uh, they have these magnetic clamps that, uh, I guess hold flesh and blood. Yeah. I'm looking at that on the list right now, but I don't remember. I don't, this I don't remember. The uh, the Zygon planet used to be a comet, which, which I guess is not possible. The planet Meluna is transformed into a sun by meteorite bombardment, and Exeter claims that this new sun may warm other worlds someday, though it's not clear where he expects them to come from in defiance of the laws of orbital mechanics. I don't know. This stuff's not funny. It's not funny. Uh, I feel like... All right. So Neil deGrasse Tyson on Twitter, anytime <laughs> there's a popular sci-fi movie come out, will try to like just rain on everyone's fun. Right, that, right. Like, saying like... You know, in the movie Gravity, the stars are positioned in this <laughs> format. And I'm just like, dude, just let people enjoy it. Nobody but you knows that. Right. Um, and, like, this movie is obviously easier to poke holes yeah. in yeah. than that. And, I mean, it doesn't take somebody as smart as Neil deGrasse Tyson. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, come on now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Well, um, you know, we didn't give it a shot. I don't know. That, that was my idea. I mean, you know what? If, if, uh, if, I, can, if I can get, parade, if I can get Neil deGrasse Tyson to read these, now that could be a different story. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just Neil deGrasse Tyson on your segment. You did. It's, it's not a very good segment. <laughs> it's not a very good segment. Um, so, you know, uh, as sometimes as, I'm going to be experimenting with the show and if something doesn't work, um, my apologies. So, Anyway, um, so but there is one on this list that talks about you know we were trying to figure out why does the thing burn up in Exeter oh, dies yeah, yeah. and it's like that there's this heat like they describe it as a heat barrier <laughs> around the Earth but yet he doesn't it doesn't affect him until he's right over the ocean, um, you know yeah. at like sea level basically instead of coming into the atmosphere, um, so. Maybe that would have made more sense had they not committed this crime against science. Maybe, maybe. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll. Uh, I'm going to workshop this. We're going to workshop uh, this segment for for the future, <laughs> and uh, if you know, if it, if it needs to be abandoned, it will. But uh, moving along, we're not going to beat a dead horse here. Um, this there's a Blu-ray out by Shot Factory for the Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Uh, version, which is an 87 minute uh, film. They cut out some, they cut out like 10 or, I don't know, they only, you only get like 73 minutes of the film uh, in Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. So uh, I was, it was, I was hoping that, I mean, Shout Factory would have put the original film on this Blu-ray. It would only have made sense to me as a, but I don't know why they wouldn't have doing that, done that. So you, you got an actual DVD of the film. And I know yeah, that there's some um, Blu-ray versions from Germany and elsewhere. I'm not sure how good the quality is, how good the quality is, but, um, but there's a DVD out, right? There's a DVD. It was on Amazon. If you search this Island earth, it's I'm checking now, but I think it's the first name that comes up. It was like nine 99 or something like that. Yeah, okay. nine forty seven. It was it. I mean, the cut of the movie looked like the same one that you can find on YouTube. I wondered if this has gone public domain. I know most things that usually go to SG3KR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would explain why. Because I don't typically look for movies on YouTube because so many times you won't realize that they've changed the audio or something. 
And um, but the DVD and what was on YouTube that you had sent or told me about looked identical as far as I could tell. Yeah. And it looks, I mean, it looks pretty good. I would love some company to come in and, and give this a restoration. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure. Like if, if any of you have seen the Blu-ray, let us know. It's a bit pricey, but it's, it's, it's in Germany. I'm wondering if you order from Amazon, Germany may, may be, uh, it may be cheaper, but I mean, the, I'm looking at the DVD again now. It's got the universal logo, like the new one on the cover. So maybe okay. it's not public domain. Um, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. So I'd be interested in because in, what I because you know I was I was bad I watched this on on YouTube uh, trying to find this because I I guess I assumed it was public domain but uh, but it looked pretty good and you know it would be fun to see a restored version of this um, so I'm I'm definitely interested in tracking down these uh, this German Blu-ray especially in um, checking yeah, it out and so. the full movie was 86 minutes so okay. I know the if you watch. You get the MST3K Blu-ray and watch it. You're not like you had already mentioned that they cut some out of it. Yeah. But they cut like what, like 15 minutes or so. Yeah, um, they probably I'm cut sh- all the stuff in the front end of the film. There's a good 15 minutes that could easily be cut. There's yeah. a good 30 minutes that could probably cut out of this movie without missing much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to mention there is a there's there's a GIF or is this or is it pronounced GIF? <laughs> I think Earth. yeah, but there's always is, debate. <laughs> yeah, uh, is it is it is it or is it just a picture? But there, you watch, then when they first go into Exeter's office, there's it, what looks like a a cheeseburger painting on the wall. Oh yeah, <laughs> which always makes me laugh. All right, uh, well, you know what? I think that's going to do it for this first episode of Xenopod from the year five thousand. Brandon, thank you for joining me on this and uh thanks for having me sean i'm very honored to be the first guest (laughs) um you know so thanks for having me this was fun i'm gonna try to to do this once i'm gonna do this once a month um i know that brad henderson has expressed interest mike delaney is going to be on here uh other former other guests of the screamcast are talking about it i'm in talks with brian sauer and uh, Rob Hunter is interested. So I got the next few shows already kind of, uh, you know, we, we got we're working on those. And it's going to be fun. Kind of hear different people's perspectives on science fiction and kind of lesser known sci-fi films. So join me on this journey as I flesh all this out. And hopefully you guys discover some films that you hadn't uh, thought about watching before. And, uh, you know, give give some stuff a chance other than just Mystery Science Theater 3000 cuts of the film. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, Brandon, where can people find you online? Um, well, the best place to find me is on Twitter at BrandMed. That's B-R-A-N-D-M-E-D. Um, if you want to look at some stuff I wrote a long time ago, you can find blessedarethegeek.tumblr.com. <laughs> and that is also my screen name on Instagram, where you can find me as well. Um Someone stole brand med before I could get it and has never posted. So <laughs> blessed are the worst. geek over there. Um, and nice. occasionally I'll throw stuff up on the Tumblr, but usually you can find me mostly on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. Well, you can find the Twitter name, the Twitter handle for the show. Uh, it's Xenopod 5000. Of course, you can go to Xenopod5000.com. This show is hosted over at thescreamcast.com. But of course, the best place to find us probably and all these other great shows on Screaming Pods is over at ScreamingPods.com. Check out all the other shows. Um, Brad and Mike's little sideshow, the SOV pod, just cracks me up every time they release one. They're doing one every week. Uh, Screamcast is going to be probably doing two episodes a month. And, um, and I'm starting up my my philosophy and religion podcast, the armchair philosopher uh, again soon. And then all these other great shows have jumped on board with us over at screamingpods.com. Brian Sowers, just the discs. We got uh, bloody popcorn and uh, as well as splat house is on there as well. So check all them out. Um, You can subscribe to the main screaming pods feed and get all the shows on iTunes um, or you can subscribe to each separately, whatever, however you handle your podcast. All right, we will catch all of you guys next month. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.